welcome to the Nirvana Strength Practitioners panel podcast where we explore the idea of human performance optimization. I'm Ian McLeod, the co-founder of Nirvana Strength, and on today's episode, we'll be joined by Michael Van, and he will be speaking on the idea of fitness and resiliency. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that in relation to his life and what he's been up to, um, and then, yeah, I think that'll be a good place to start. Yeah, um, thank you for I have that. to do this uh, little um, sponsor thing for the Haven, but... Um, so today we're recording our podcast from one of the most uh, recommended and naturally elegant accommodations in the Django area. I think someone from, from the hotel wrote that. Uh, the Haven Suites Bali Barawa Hotel. It's uh, in Changu and it's, it's definitely a pretty sweet hotel and it will help make your uh, holiday in Bali epic. Uh, so uh, really quick just to start off, could you give just a quick bio like... Who are you, Michael Van? <laughs> I am, yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, well, like you said, I'm Michael. I'm a strength and conditioning coach by trade uh, with a fascination in the human condition, as I would call it. And what does that mean? I don't know yet. But uh, I basically am a coach who works with clients that live all over the world. I work remotely, um, and I essentially help people live uh, the fittest life possible uh, Mm. through a conglomerate of methods. And uh, I essentially will help anyone from Navy SEALs to stay-at-home moms that want to basically take their health and fitness seriously to uh, reach whatever goal they may have. Right. So I think, um, I mean, in saying that and, you know, the basic idea of, like, what we do at Nirvana and and even this this uh, podcast, like this idea of uh, uh, how can we optimize our potential as human beings, as, as individuals, you know, even as like a human, as a species, right? Like the idea of like survival to fittest is that you want to, um, I think I think everybody's born with a certain amount of potential. And I think, uh, I think the go- uh, nice goals for everyone to kind of have is to how do you maximize what you were, whatever your God given, like, talents were or your physical and mental well-being right um so i I see that so you're talking about uh training with navy seals and um let's say even housewives or moms um do you do you have a preferred kind of clientele or what are some like the differences that you've kind of experienced between like those kind of extremes of you know you have high level athletes in the navy seals with you know kind of like normal everyday people yeah, uh, well, actually, my preferred person to work with is the puzzle, to be honest with you. Um, like, if anyone's ever watched House MD, that show with the doctor that has, like, the yeah, cane yeah, and like, yeah. a drug problem, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I don't have a cane or a drug problem, but <laughs> like, if you came to his office with the flu, he would be like, get out of my office. I have no desire to treat you. Like, mm. you have the flu, any doctor can do that. Mm. I really love the people who, like, Dr. House would be like, what is this disease? Like, how do we diagnose this? This is a mystery. Mm. And he gets really, really excited to basically figure things out. And I love the puzzle. So it's, it's, it seems like to most people, like the housewife or the stay-at-home mom with three kids, all under the ages of five mm. versus the Navy SEAL are different. But they're really not. They're puzzles. Right? And to be honest with you, a lot of the tier one and tier two people that I work with are not the most fit humans. Like we think that they are because like maybe the movies show them like Jack, like Arnold, you know, a like green beret yeah. or whatever. 
But a lot of the times they're not because of what they do for a living. They're torn up and mm. they are chronically having nagging injuries, nothing that like takes them out of their job. But if you look at like Naval Special Warfare's research on injuries, mm. a majority of injuries are idiopathic, meaning we just don't have a way to say, this is what's wrong with you. We just know that your shoulder hurts, mm. MRIs come back fine, ultrasounds are fine. It just hurts and like you, you just, you deal with it. Mm. And that's very, 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 very different than what we would think like an injury would be because usually it's like, well, it's a tendon issue or it's a fracture or whatever, but they're puzzles. And mm. if you think about their lifestyle, it's like figuring out like how much fitness can I give this person and how do I tweak their nutrition and how do I change X, Y, Z factors to make them not have that chronic nagging thing right. so they can do their job better. It's, it's not all that different than the stay at home wife that's managing, you know, a family, three kids all under the ages of five. Like that's a, that is a, that's a chore. Like that is a job mm. and that's just as stressful in many cases and so figuring out how to like make that mom have the energy to wake up at 5 a.m to take care of the 12 month old and breastfeed and then go take care of the three-year-old so to me it's just a giant puzzle like yeah. how do i optimize your fitness and resiliency so you can just do the stuff you want to do mm. and so like giving that example of like you know you have clients who don't have any issues on their mri don't have like a lot of the the typical problems that one would expect for having like let's say a shoulder issue uh so then is there is there a a mental component um that you that you work with with these with these clients as well oh yeah huge mental component but not in the sense of like just telling them well your shoulder mri is fine so there's nothing wrong with your shoulder because mm -hmm. telling somebody there's nothing wrong with them when they feel pain is usually not the best approach it actually works with certain people but for the most part it's just not smartest approach mm. like they're gonna be like no there's something wrong with my shoulder it hurts i can't do what i want to do yeah so really what we look at is like all right like well we know that there's no mechanical damage let's talk about some other stuff let's look at neurodynamics let's look at the biomechanics of the nervous system basically mm. let's start looking at systemic inflammation so now let's start talking about blood chemistry cbc cmp and those different types of blood testing uh, let's look at stool testing for potential gut pathogens or like dysbiosis, mm -hmm. urine hormone testing, you know, all sorts of different types of lab testing to kind of figure out where there's some gaps in this person's resiliency that I can show them how to basically fix on their own. Mm -hmm. So that would be like one part of the puzzle. And then the other part could just be maybe we're stressing them too much. Like, are you training five days a week, but you're only sleeping three hours a day? Yeah. So I really look at you know, how, where can I like modify the stress variables mm. to essentially help this person get to where they want to be? Yeah, I do find that uh, with regards to stress and it, I mean, it's such has such a can have such a negative effect on the on the body. And uh, I do find that even something as simple as like putting someone on a nutritional plan can even push them even into a further stressful situation that could negatively affect them right if they're coming from let's say a super stressful environment to they're wanting to they're already stressed out about not being fit or not being overweight and then you give them like what i would say most typical personal trainers might do will just put them on like a very stressful diet and and then they can't figure out why they're not losing weight or why they're um, still in pain or why um, I think that the trainers, and this is, I guess, the general kind of bigger issue that I have with uh, with the industry as a whole is that 
there's a there's a very low barrier to entry and so now you have like a, a massive influx of of, of per, well, you know personal trainers who maybe just got their most basic personal training certification and then start giving uh, protocols and start giving um, uh, advice to maybe situations that are more complicated than it's kind of above their pay grade right um, but I do one thing that I've really liked about uh, I looked into the the OPEX like certification that Johnson did so my business partner mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I think that's like one of the it's a really well thought out like compared to like like just kind of your everyday search that, I, that I've kind of seen out there and I, I do like the, the the very personalized and customized approach like that it takes and uh, like for yourself you're like working with uh, with OPEX and, and other um, companies that you're working with like um, where do you where do you see like some of the holes with regards to like like what are you guys doing different compared to like some of the kind of mass market um, th- like certification programs that yeah. are out there yeah. yeah, I think uh, the one thing that I would say that the coaches that I work with do differently um, would be learning how to remove one's own bias. So to remove yourself from the equation is really the end goal of any coach, or at least a coach seeking mastery of his craft or her craft. Right. So, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, uh, I don't know, paleo nutrition guy. Like that's like my thing. Like yeah. I'm gonna have a bias of like, here's your salmon and broccoli. We don't need to eat white rice. Mm. We don't need to eat X Y Z things. Well, it's that that's a bias. And for the right person, it could work. But if you're trying to do CrossFit and train four or five hours a day, yeah. paleo food is not gonna fix you, and it's not gonna help. It's actually gonna hurt you in the long run. So. Yeah. I think the coaches that I work with, what we do differently is we're really able to just step back, remove ourselves from the equation mm-hmm. and uh, hold zero judgment towards our clients. Yeah. So if you want to go and run a marathon, I'm going to give you white rice. Is it yeah. paleo? No, but nor is running a marathon. Mm-hmm. So just removing our own biases, like you know, thinking about the carnivore diet or thinking about Whole30 or veganism or whatever. We just take our biases out of the equation and say, hey, what's the yeah. best thing for the client? Yeah. And that's where you have to assess the client. And the better you are at assessing somebody, the easier it is to find out their exact starting point. Yeah. So that way, whatever you give them, they can give you a double thumbs up and not have anxiety about it. And it doesn't overstress them. Right. I think that's, that's, uh, I mean, that's fantastic. I think the idea that most, I mean, you see it in sports all the time where there's like a, a certain kind of coach has a he's considered like a system coach or like a, there's like system athletes and they they're only good if you do this one specific thing and if you don't have the the right kind of athletes then your team is just not going to be good because they're not going to fit the system so i do think in the fitness industry as well there's like some coaches who well there's some coaches that are they know that they're really good at a very specific kind of clientele and so they're good at uh, identifying uh potential clients and only taking on the clients they know that will be successful underneath their system but i think it almost defeats the the idea and the purpose of what a real coach should be able to do is is this idea of being fully adaptable to whoever comes to your table um, whoever you um, comes to see you and um, yeah it's, it's i think it's the assessment part is, is is a big part that i think most people kind of just miss um there's just like thousands of upon thousands of like cookie cutter kind of programs that uh that people put out and um yeah i, I definitely 
I mean, what what are some of like the initial um, processes that you go through with regards to like new clientele? Or maybe a better question that would better relate for the the listeners would be like as a as a as a client, right, who's trying to select a a coach or select a trainer, like what should they be looking for um, in in a trainer to kind of help them better identify like who would best work with them? Yeah, uh, well one, somebody that actively would listen. So I think it's very important to not only just like sit here with your client and talk to them and listen to their goals, but to be able to say their goals back in a different way. Mm. So if a client comes to me and they say X, Y, Z things, and that's their goal, I'll reword it in a completely different way to make sure that I'm truly authentically understanding where they're coming from. If I can put myself in their shoes and be like, okay, like you, you are a 17 deployment veteran with, you know, a tier one group or a tier two group and you've got knee problems and ankle problems and you're not really looking for XYZ but you want to be able to stay in and do five more deployments before you retire, I need to be able to reword like what they feel their limiting factors are. So yeah. is it is it like a sleep issue? Is it is it like do they get sugar cravings or whatever it might be? And I have to reword to them kind of like what I'm hearing. So if you're a client looking for a coach, I would say the first thing is to make sure that they can, you know, basically reiterate what you're looking for mm. that way you can understand that like they get like what I'm asking for from the client and yeah then from there ask I mean you're whenever you're talking to a new coach you're interviewing that coach because you're gonna pay that coach or that trainer mm. so you should be interviewing them like when a new client comes to me it is an interview it's a job interview for me mm. it's also a job interview for them because I'm not gonna waste anyone's time and if I don't feel like I'm the best fit for them I'm yeah. not gonna take them on I'm gonna refer them out somewhere else mm. But as you know, the client interviewing a new coach, you gotta be asking, you know, well, what's your plan? How should it look? What do you think is gonna be needed, et cetera? And if the coach already lays out the program before they've even assessed you, I would walk away from that coach in a heartbeat. Mm. Because that means that they haven't even thought about the 27 variables and 33 factors or whatever that go into writing a program and those are just random numbers I throw out but the human condition is so incredibly complex that if you tell me what your goals are and then I write out the program I've already shown that I don't know how to design a program properly Mm. and so if you're a client looking for a coach and they write out this program before they've even assessed you you should just walk yeah I mean an assessment with me takes three weeks so you want to work with me like I'm going to run you through three weeks worth of testing and assessments to truly figure out everything that we can possibly figure out and then I can talk to you for an hour about that how the next like three six nine and twelve months will look and every like contingency in there like hey if it goes like this then we're gonna have to switch and start training like this and blah 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 and but that's only after almost a month of assessments and granted I go deeper into assessing my clients than most people do because I just love puzzles if anyone writes out a program without assessing one bit if they tell you how they're going to make you squat more without even watching you squat walk away always Mm. that's just a template it's cookie cutter right have you always thought like this yeah 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 so i mean like let's say at the very like what like at the very 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 beginning right let's see right before you get your first i don't know certificate before you picked up a weight like i mean did you think that you would be this kind of a trainer or coach or um well, no, because I didn't realize how complex things were. The deeper I go down the rabbit hole, 
the more complex it gets. So, you know, just in the last like three, four years, the amount that I've learned having graduated from graduate school and all that, it's, mm. it's been, uh, the way I think of things is very differently, but I've always known that I wanted to go down the rabbit hole. For me, it's, it's never been like, I just want to shell out programs and whatnot. It's always been this, you know, at first it was this, I didn't feel smart enough kind of mentality as a coach. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of new coaches feel that where they're just like, hey, I don't feel smart enough as a coach. What do I got to go learn next? So I did every course I could. I did FMS, SFMA, all of PRI, all of DNS. I did TPI, FRC. I did all of Exos. I did all of Mike Boyle's stuff. I did all of, you know, OPEX's stuff. And I read one book a week and I still do. I still read one book a week. I'm a voracious reader. I'm a bibliophile and I just never felt good enough. Mm. And then I went to school, undergrad, then grad school. Now I'm at a point where it's not a level of like, I don't feel good enough. Now it's more of this intrinsic desire just to see how far I can take it in terms of like the level of coaching that I can offer people. Yeah, I just want to see how far I can take it. At first it was this, insecurity in me of like I need to be better you know I looked up to Eric Cressy and all of his Shirley Sarman stuff and I even read all of Shirley Sarman's stuff as well and yeah. Mike Robertson and you know all those guys that are just you know probably like 10 years older than me or so or five years older than me mm. they only had a few years few years on me but I looked up to them and their blogs and it just made me feel really insecure so I was like no I gotta I gotta be smarter then over time you know you just get enough time in the trenches probably after I did like my first, maybe my first 15,000 assessments, that's when I was like, hey, maybe I'm onto something here. Yeah. And it took more and more time to you know get the confidence. And then I got to the point where I just started to go down the functional medicine rabbit hole in grad school and putting so many dots together, it became this like genuine curiosity. And now it's insatiable and I'm just obsessed with trying to put more dots together and solving the puzzle. and. But I've always been a complex person like that. Do you think with uh, with all the different things that you've that you've studied that you've educated yourself on, um, do you find that? So uh, I mean, every any one of any one of those things on its own, it's its own system, right? Um, how do you how do you go about identifying or filtering the things that you find to be the m most um, like applicable? Part, portions of each of those um, within your within the context of what you do so I would say that there are a lot of there are a lot of different certification programs out there that people can do um, you know there's like black roll there's the FMS there's um, I don't know TRX there's you know Pilates all that kind of stuff right but then uh, I think the issue that um, that a lot of people have is, I mean, particularly as coaches, is that they'll just, they'll take everything at face value and they'll just accept everything that is involved with this program because they get some continued education credits for doing it and it's uh, it's official because it's accredited. But uh, but I find that um, the kind of approach that we would take at, at, at the gym is that uh, something along the lines of like, kind of like what Bruce Lee did with his his history of like fitness and, and yeah. health and stuff was basically like he didn't for the most part really care where things really came from but he was just 
infatuated with the idea of like finding the things that were the most effective or the most beneficial for his practice and what yep. he wanted to do. And you can see it in the way that he went about creating his own martial arts and his, his actually didn't want to, um, to name his martial arts because he knew as soon as he gave it a name that it would become a system and then it would no longer have that ability to kind of adapt, right? Yeah. Um, well, he actually, you're referring to Jeet Kune Do and yeah. uh, I started studying that over two decades ago because my Sifu studied with him in that group. Um, so I grew up doing martial arts and I was very infatuated with the concept of Jeet Kune Do and how mm. you can apply the philosophy of it because it's more of a philosophy than it is a style of anything. Yeah. You know, and I always thought about the same concept of like, you know, if I if I study Taekwondo and I learn to really, really master the sidekick, mm. but if I'm in a car and somebody rolls up on me with a gun and puts it through my, my driver's side window, yeah. how useful is that sidekick? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah. But at that moment in time, mm. how useful might Wing Chun be with trapping and being able to hit, hit, block, and hit at the right. same time? And so learning how to apply at that moment in time what's, ne what's necessary. Mm. I think precision nutrition calls it, in terms of the fitness world, I think precision nutrition hit the nail on the head. They call it outcome-based decision-making. Mm. And to me, that just means like, what does that person in front of me desire as their outcome? Like, why are they giving me money? Mm. I'm gonna hook them up with whatever that is if I can. And that's the same thing, like somebody rolls up on my car and they put a gun through the window. I don't care about my feet at this point. I'm going to just use my hands and right. or my teeth or whatever, like pull their arm and bite them, whatever it takes. Yeah. Like I'm gonna win, that's mm -hmm. all there is to it. Well, it's the same thing with coaching. So I just had a client actually hire me right before I flew out to Bali. Yeah. And they straight up said in their initial consultation with me, they're like, hey, I, I, I really love doing you know, this, this blog program with my boyfriend. Can you program something similar? I was like, well, no, not really, because you love more than just the blog program. You love the ability to do it with your boyfriend. Yeah. So who am I to tell you that you doing a blog program is wrong? Like, do you have pain? No. Are you happy with the results? Yeah. Who am I to say that's wrong then? Yeah. But what can we do outside of that? Well, let's start looking at the, the base of fitness. And that's mm. where I think most coaches get it wrong is that we forget that fitness is not the base. The base actually is physiology. So mm. I'll... I, I'm not making any of these terms up or anything. I've heard other doctors and coaches and whatnot use them in the past, but like I think of the three primary things always that need to be really aligned, and then there's a secondary and a tertiary thing. Mm. The three primary things are just good gut health, making sure you have good oxygen delivery, and then making sure that you have good glucose tolerance or sensitivity, so insulin receptors need to be ready to rock, right? Yep. And then that, that secondary thing is your circadian biology. Mm -hmm. You've gotta sleep. And then that last but not least thing, the reason why I say it's tertiary and it's not like a primary is hormones. Mm -hmm. And that's just because as, as a coach, I can't prescribe hormones. But not only that, if I take care of your gut health and I make sure that you have good gut health and you have good oxygen delivery yeah. and you have good glucose tolerance, and you make the right choices to like optimize your sleep, meaning you don't go to bed at 2 a.m. every day, et yeah. cetera. A lot of the times hormones can actually kind of just fix themselves, like the body yeah. will repair itself. So if I look at the physiology, then at that point, like it's, that's gonna dictate a lot about, you know, fitness and program design. So yeah. if you're sleeping three hours a night, 
I can't give you four hours of training a day. Yeah. Well, I could, but it'll kill you in the long run. Yeah, so. I mean, I definitely do think that there is a big um, information gap with regards to like newer trainers, and yeah. they're they're wanting to essentially um, implement like these cookie cutter programs that they that they've been taught through their systems. Um, but I, yeah, I do find that especially with like hormones or um, even bringing on new clients, even helping new clients better understand um, different approaches that don't require purely like taking supplements or um, it's 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 amazing how so many people will focus on like very micro components and believe that without actually addressing the the bigger issues so like let's say sleep right like they're not even getting enough sleep like why like why would you start prescribing you know different supplement protocols when they could be doing something that's as simple as sleep um, yeah to to and that essentially in itself might fix a lot of the issues that they're dealing with so then well let's let's backtrack that though right because you we have to remember that decisions are emotionally driven so you know if i have a long day at work and i work a 12-hour shift and it's super stressful I may not want to come home and go right to bed. I may want to watch TV or, or a movie or hang out with my kids or my wife. So, sure. I mean, I may make a conscious decision to not sleep. And you are right. Like if I just went to bed, I'd be I'd be better. But because of the amount of drain and stress at work, I may not be making the decision to go to bed earlier. So this is where supplementation can actually be really useful in the sense that one, we have to remember that nothing is infinite in the world. We don't have yeah. infinite food and infinite oil and infinite energy. Something's going to run out. And the human body is no different. We don't have infinite hormone and infinite ATP and infinite vitamin B12 or whatever. So yeah. if I'm working with somebody who's got a low oxygen deliverability, some form of anemia, for example, a vitamin deficiency anemia, right? Sure. And he's struggling to make energy aerobically. I don't care you know, how much I tell this person to go to bed earlier he just may be so tired and drained that he wants like the emotional release by coming home so what if i give this guy a little bit of help to fill those gaps maybe yeah. it's through food or supplements whatever and then he comes home from work and he feels better he may not need that release that emotional release of tv or whatever yeah. he may be able to be like you know what i can just go to bed and i'm fine yeah so that will help facilitate well, the change. And this is, um, I mean, with regards to like reframing and, and thinking about the situation, depending on the yeah. person, is, um, you know, the idea of like using supplementation as a means to help with the ultimate end totally. goal, right? Yeah. As opposed to just prescribing supplements to help fix all the issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, d I definitely do think there's a place for um, a lot, for, a lot of different uh, kinds of protocols. Uh, but within saying that, and have you have you done much um, studying yeah, with regards to like like Eastern medicine or Eastern philosophy with regards to like health and fitness like and nutrition or traditional Chinese medicine? Yeah, or even like uh, like like qigong or some of the things that maybe even like uh, with regards to fitness like what like the shaolin monks like do with regards to like mobility stuff or this is something that I I, I don't have a lot of. Uh, uh, education in at, at this moment, point in time but I've definitely recently have gotten like really interested in um, a lot of Eastern philosophy because that stuff's like I mean the Chinese especially if you think about uh, like the Chinese national team and the, the kinds of athletes that they produce that 
perform at such high levels you know a lot of the stuff they do is just not in like textbooks and not and you just can't learn it and it's yeah. they've got to be doing something that's just amazing because um one of the one of our uh coaches uh that comes down sometimes coach Wu Chuan Fu mm -hmm. um he's a former national team athlete and uh, the current Singapore national team coach and he's like I love him he's so amazing and it just has a really cool like philosophy and um it's amazing like some of the stuff that those athletes are just able to do that uh that I don't see like it's I I ha I would think that there's got to be some good combination or some way to integrate like eastern and western philosophy with regards to health and fitness there totally is actually yeah, yeah. I, I would look at the chinese elements so fire wood water earth yeah. metal right and you can actually take that and if you think about the course of time mm. and different cultures in different parts of the world have pretty much found the same thing just with different names, mm. right? So if you think of, uh, I'm not as familiar with Ayurvedic medicine, but I think like Vata is one of the elements, right? Like yeah. Vata is one of the things. But then like you look at Vata and you can compare it to like water or earth or whatever. Mm. In Western medicine, we're now just calling it neurotransmitter dominance. So yeah. if you want to learn about it, like Eric Braverman wrote a book on it, The Edge Effect. Mm. Poliquin taught me about it, I don't know, before he died, like three, whatever three years ago something like that yeah. anyways so you can program based on someone's essence so we all know it to be true as coaches like some people do just way better with volume mm. so for example i had a very high volume day yesterday mm. of upper body pushing i mean i spent an hour and a half just doing non-stop upper pushing and i'm fine mm. i can't do the same thing with all movement patterns mm. but if i was to give that same type of training to certain athletes that just don't do well with volume then they're not they're they're gonna get crushed. Mm. And John Wellborn actually from Power Athlete, I think it was like seven eight years ago, um, he was telling us a story uh, when I was at one of his seminars, and he was talking about how, like his roommate in college was an amazing football player. And I could be bastardizing the story a bit, but long story short, he's like my roommate was this great football player, one yeah. of the best I ever worked with, but he was just not a big monkey. He would have been amazing in the NFL yeah. if they only had to train once a day. Yeah. But because there's this system of like, nope, we're twice a day. Yeah. This is how we do things. Yeah. It killed the guy and he burned out and he couldn't make it. Yeah. So I think that if we look at someone's essence, so let's look at like, for me, for example, I'm a very dopamine dominant human. Mm. And essentially like in Chinese medicine, I would be considered a very dominant fire element. Mm. In Greek medicine, you would call me choleric. Like my temperament is very choleric. There is a type of programming mm. you can actually give this person or that essence or temperament or element to actually like make them better mm. and same with nutrition and so we've known about it forever and ever and like in the west we're just now starting to understand it but i think that's because in the west we have to understand all the minutiae before we can ever accept its existence so yeah. it's kind of like you know we have to understand how planes fly and all that stuff and all the physics before we can even invent a plane yeah but it's backwards so like what you just said they're doing things that are not in textbooks well of course not because pioneers can't wait for themselves to be proven yeah. right yeah the first pilot didn't have a pilot's license they had yeah. to go figure it out and then like oh this worked we flew for 30 feet and then crashed yeah. let's figure out the physics now that we have an understanding that yeah. it is possible mm. that's coaching and so mm. Like once you figure something out, like, hey, that worked. Yeah, awesome, great. Like the scientific process is observation, causal question, then go figure it out. Yeah. It's not figure it out without an observation. So do you, so 
so we like I did um, uh, a a podcast with uh, this guy. His name is Hong Wong. He um, he he's the owner of uh, this supplement company here in, in Bali called Ming Herbs. Uh, but he did a lot of his. Uh, he, I think he does an amazing job of integrating. Um, Western and Eastern philosophy with regards to like health and supplementation and, and uh, but anyways like I think yeah we were talking about how there's a lot of Eastern ideas that really it almost just boils down to just uh, linguistical semantics right it's just it's just different uh, wording yeah um, but I, I, I do think also uh, to that point as well with regards to I know in the in the West we're just so stuck on we have to have everything like I have to have all these case studies and have all the science and have everything like set before we can start uh, uh, accepting uh, certain ideas. Um, I think that's one thing that does make it uh, beneficial to be a coach as opposed to being a doctor because there's like uh, ethical issues of, you mm-hmm. know, that I think some doctors kind of um, obviously have problems with. Uh, they can't um, obviously like... Uh, well, a lot of doctors wouldn't be comfortable with giving advice on some experimental, well, I guess experimental in the sense that there's not enough research done on, on a protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the, the process of thinking, um, what you're talking about is kind of the big thing that kind of separates really, really good coaches like yourself who are able to adapt or able to help figure out these puzzles through so many different means um, but I think at the end of the day, it's like having such a broad range of uh, education in so many different areas um, gives you so many tools to pull from. And uh, I think even at, you know, where you're at now, like I, I think it's amazing that you're still able to continue like your processes as a student, right, within your craft and, and continue your education and continue like your study and, and this, uh, I mean, this process that it just it can always get better. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's that's really cool, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I think it's a dangerous line because the notion of, oh, it can always be better, that can, you got to be cautious with that because it can be a self-judgment, mm. which is dangerous because that, that actually limits your progression as a coach. And so it's not a matter of like, it's not good enough self-judgment. It's a matter of like, to me... It's just like, how far can I take this? And I, I make jokes about it, but like I grew up on Japanese uh, culture because my mom and dad and brother lived in Japan for pretty much a decade. I grew up with Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Z. Oh, Dragon Ball Z. Man. Yeah, so like, <laughs> think about like, I know this is a weird segue, but like you think about for anyone that's ever watched that show, like Vegeta, he always wants to be the strongest, but it's a self-judgment thing that came from losing his planet and he was weak, and so he adapted to try to become stronger. Mm. Whereas Goku, he just had this intrinsic desire just to see how far he can take it. And every challenge, every chance he had to fight somebody that could kill him, mm. he was like, yeah, let's fight. Let's see what I can do. I want to see how far I can take this thing. And like to yeah. him, he would just laugh at all of it. And so there's like the fine line between self-judgment not good enough. And then there's like the, this isn't good enough because I'm pretty sure I can take it farther. And I'm genuinely yeah. curious to see how far I can take this. Well, I think, yeah, definitely. I mean, you could have you know, multiple people essentially aiming for very similar goals, but their their mindset or their intention as to what exactly, like, why are they doing it? Yeah. You know, it definitely has a massive effect on totally. the type of person they're going to be and the kind of results they're going to be, whether they can be, I mean, Vegeta was a very, I mean, he's kind of just an ass, 
Yeah, right. totally. <laughs> but I mean, the yeah. guy went through a lot of pain, right? He did, lost his yeah, whole planet. Yeah. And then, like, Gohan, like, going back to that cartoon, but, like, Gohan was doing it because he wanted to make his dad proud. Yeah. So you got to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. And, mm. you know, it's interesting because if you look at any of John Sarno's work, who's a pioneer in the psychosomatic medicine world with the subconscious and the conscious working together, mm. if you look at all of his work, people's issues in health and fitness and disease and like pain and injury, all that. There's a humongous psychosomatic component to it. And usually it's a subconscious thing where like you as the coach or you as the client won't even recognize. Mm. And it's, you know, for example, like uh, the reason why somebody might want to become smarter like me, I was doing it for the wrong reasons because I was comparing myself to all these other coaches and I wasn't doing it from this authentic within intrinsic thing. And as soon as I worked through that, like, cause that pretty much got called out on me with a bunch of different like mental, emotional psychology, like health workers that yeah. I've worked with over time, mentored with and all that, they would pull that out from behind me and just put it in front of my face and I'll be like, holy shit, I didn't realize I was doing it for that reason. Yeah. And as I worked through that, that's what allowed me to kind of get to this point of being able to put more dots together, but not because it was like, I'm not good enough, but it's more like, yeah, I'm not good enough. Like, how I can do better. Like, I really want to do better. Like, I mm. can see how far I can take this, and you get this different excitement. And it's the same thing with fitness, like gymnastics or any type of calisthenics. Like, if you look at Greek medicine and we start looking at temperaments, choleric, phlegmatic, sanguine, and melancholics, cholerics very rarely will want to do gymnastics type stuff because there's a level of like movement perfection. Yeah. Whereas, like, as a choleric, like, that's why I'm not as attracted to gymnastics type stuff as I am attracted to, like, be powerful and hit stuff. Mm. Which is why I love Jeet Kune Do, because Jeet Kune Do is extremely offensive. Mm. There's very little defense. Everything is offense, offense, offense. You block a blow with a blow. You just go, right? Mm. And it's, like, no holds barred, whatever it takes. I'm the same way with my weightlifting. So mm. I'd rather, like, squat heavyweight, power clean something big. I'm not as concerned with, like, perfective or perf perfection in my movement mm. so like my essence or my temperament you know if i align my training with yeah. that super fulfilled but then you take somebody that's like really loves like aerial yoga and gymnastics and dance and yeah. refining of movement just for the refinement of it mm. and you take them out of that and put them into my world of like power-based training they may be very miserable or they just may never get stronger right because like deep deep down within they're doing it for the wrong reason or it's just not their essence mm -hmm. so i think that's where another thing coaches have to just constantly constantly think to themselves like I, how do i refine yeah this i think there that would be something the idea of like figuring out like what kind of training program would each individual athlete most benefit from with regards to uh, professional sports teams, right? I think that would be, that's probably one component that's quite missing. Yeah. Because it's just, uh, it's still kind of in, I mean, any sport, I mean, but in particular, like in American football, where it's just like you um, kind of just go, go, go. And there's, um, sure, like away from the team, probably more likely in like the off season, like athletes are able to, or do more individualized yes, things. Very much so. But once they're like in season and they're dealing with the um, the team coaches and, and yeah. such, they're kind of all put underneath like very similar programs. They are, but I mean, you got to think about the bureaucracy of 
team-based sports, right? Like you have this coach that's going to say, I've been doing this for 25 years. This is the way that I've always done it, blah, blah, blah. So you're now dealing with personalities. You're dealing with like team systems. And you're also dealing with the fact that you're in season. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily need to train you for a power clean one rep max. Right. I just need to make sure that you're powerful enough to show up on Sunday and like decapitate the dude in front of you. Mm. Like at the end of the day, that's the end goal is to make you as powerful as a human. And when you tackle him, he's out. So I, I can see why, like, you know, if you were to do a system, you know, it's like the FMS, for example, you know, oh, you're a two one for your lunge. Here's your program. At the end of the day, you're probably you're essentially mitigating stress upon the nervous system by yeah. giving them movement patterns that are not as stressful. And I think that's why most people find success with these systems. Yeah. And that's mainly because if you back up and stop thinking chemistry and you start thinking electricity, meaning the nervous system, if I have a guy as an FMS athlete who can only do a one, meaning he can't even get a two on the FMS for a squat and I just don't squat him and I give him lunging patterns, mm. I'm probably not stressing his system very much, so he's gonna be better. Mm. But it's not because I like trained his appropriate movement patterns, it's really because I just like stopped crushing his nervous system with biomechanically tough movements. Mm. And ironically, when you do that and you calm down the nervous system, a lot of the times movement just gets better on its own. Where do you, so where would you fit in, um, so like mobility work and the idea of like, especially with high-level athletes, uh, training for injury prevention? Well, one, I'll say that you can't prevent injuries. You can only reduce the risk of having one. Um, Two, injuries are really complex, and that was actually a big part of the first half of my grad school uh, was studying injuries and, Mm. uh, and movement screens. And the FMS is not validated to predict injuries. In fact, it can't even predict performance. Mm. So this is where, like... Uh, I got, I've, got, I've actually gotten really far away from using the FMS, and I've done probably fifteen to seventeen thousand FMSs at this point. Yeah. So I like I've done the FMS for a long time. I did two hundred and fifty of them mm. a month for years because I had two hundred and fifty people that I got to screen every month and collect data on. And what I found was people that didn't move the way that they were supposed to. They didn't get fourteens or above. They didn't have no asymmetry, so they were all asymmetrical, whatever. Like the people that moved like quote unquote crap. They still got stronger, better, didn't get hurt, got out of pain. Mm. That's so backwards from what like the dogma of these movement screens speaks yeah. on. And those who like moved really well, like for me, for example, at one point I was getting 21s on the FMSs mm. with really tough graders, mm. really tough graders. And I was still hitting 21s. Even the rotary stability test got symmetrical threes on it. But I would get hurt doing the weirdest stuff. Like I, I, I blew my meniscus out, squatting 50% of my one rep for a warm-up, nice and slow and controlled, just stood up and pop. So I started to think like, okay, like what else are people doing? And Poliquin said it really well. He's like, just look for the things that everyone does that's common. So what are the Chinese doing that maybe the Russians were doing, mm. that maybe the Bulgarians were doing? And what are they all doing that's similar? Stop looking for the secret squirrel sauce and start looking for the similarities. Yeah, And then it kind of came to me, I was like, well, what are like these people doing? And a lot of them are making sure their sleep is better, their nutrition is better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then I kind of came to this realization that honestly, if most people just got better nutrition and fixed their digestion, yeah. and then they got better sleep, 
most physios or physical therapists, however you want to call it, depending on the country you live in, yeah. would go out of business. Because mm. chronic pain, most times, is not a mechanical problem. It's not because you are moving, quote unquote, poorly and you, you can't pass a TPI screen or something. Sure. There are times, don't get me wrong, that we do have ligament issues and tissue problems and joint capsule issues and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. most of the time in fitness, just like in Naval Special Warfare's research, like it's idiopathic. It's like, well, there's nothing wrong. We did all the imaging. We don't see anything. Mm. We just have pain there. Well, people, if they just got their their stuff together and they started having better nutrition and it comes back down to those three primary things, gut health, glucose tolerance, and oxygen yeah. deliverability, if you get those three things better, most of your problems would clear up movement-wise. Mm. So the number one way to give people better movement make them more aerobic. But that's where it kind of gets really confusing for people because the aerobic system, if we're not talking about the physiology of like red blood cells, hematocrit, hemoglobin, and all that stuff, we're talking about the systems itself. You have cardiopulmonary system, which is your lungs and heart. That's part of the aerobic system. Yeah. You also have muscle fiber physiology, right? Like slow twitch, fast twitch, intermediate fibers that can go back and forth and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But then you also have the mitochondria. So if you have mitochondrial like damage or insufficiency or dysfunction, you're gonna have a harder time with oxygen use. So you're gonna end up with an inability to burn fuel sources oxidatively, meaning you're gonna start using sugar anaerobically. Yeah. Lactate's gonna have an issue. It's gonna cause issues with mobility because lactate is not just something that goes back to the liver to get converted into sugar. Yeah. Gets into your lymph, connective tissues, that can tighten you up. So if we can get that stuff to flush out of the system by changing digestion, by getting people better oxygen delivery or making them able to use the oxygen that does get delivered, they will change their nervous system and they will get more mobility. Yeah. So the big thing is, and I think Pat Davidson said it a long time ago, he said something along the lines of like, just make people more aerobic and they'll move better. Yeah. I started seeing that after I went through all the PRI stuff. And it wasn't that I was doing some left bilateral left AIC, bilateral BC thing or whatever that yeah. I was like correcting their exercise. I got people breathing and calming their nervous system down. Mm. By calming their nervous system down, they squatted better. You can do the same thing with crocodile breathing and a squat. Yeah. Squat, okay, it's a terrible squat. Crocodile breathe for like five minutes, relax your system a little yeah. bit, you can squat better. Mm. All it's doing is making things calm down. Mm. And if you can do that through a conglomerate of methods, there's a million ways to do it. It depends on the human. like. Why is that human not like that? Fix that problem. Mm. But if you can make people more aerobic, they will get more mobility eight to nine times out of 10. Now, sometimes there's actual, like actual mechanical things, yeah. bony blocks, ligament capsule stuff, pain that alters motor control. Like, there are legitimate things that do have to be corrected sometimes, but it's not as often as people think. And we yeah. have this like entire industry that's like, this is the corrective exercise we need to do. It's FRC. You got to do your pals and rails and rails and cars and all that stuff. Yeah. By me telling you that, I've already told you you're broken and I've already changed you into a fragile mindset. Mm. More and more people are having pain and injury now, at least with what I'm seeing. Well, you see it a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, I mean, there's just so many different components for sure that have gone into... I mean, I, it's, it's, I think it's one thing that's quite amazing in America is that we're... We're such a, we're um, we're very good at losing weight, but at not keeping it off. We're we're very well. We're one of the highest consumers of uh, of pharmaceuticals in the world. Um, but I think there's definitely, yeah, there's got to be 
I mean, there's definitely simpler answers to, to, to the problems that we're having as opposed to a lot of the complicated protocols that I think people are putting um, into place. But of course, it can get complicated if it... Um, well, I, I think it is because human, the human condition itself is very complex. Mm. Like, why does one person want to do CrossFit and the next person want to do bicep curls and bench press all day? Mm. Right? So, like, how we're brought up, the environment we're in, the only thing that, like, I really try to use as a framework would be thinking about adaptation. Yeah. So physiology adapts, right? Diabetes, in a very simple th way of thinking about it, is basically the cell, type two, is basically the cell saying, stop trying to give me fuel, we're done, right? So that could come from multiple things. It doesn't just come from hyperinsulinemia, but hyperlipidemia, sex hormone imbalance, endotoxicity, yeah. you know, inflammation, but basically the cell is saying no mas. So the cell is adapting to the environment that it's placed in. Yeah. So the mind is the same way, right? Like if you are gonna grow up without money and you're poor, that's a void. And then all of a sudden now that's shaped your values 20 years later, so now your highest value is making money because you're scared of being poor. But that's a complete subconscious thing. Mm. So it's the same thing with fitness. Um, I have clients that grew up very overweight. And they got teased a lot. And so now like they have like to a certain extent disordered eating habits because they don't want to be made fun of again. And like what happened to them at 12 years old has dictated how they feel about nutrition at 32. Yeah. No, I definitely can understand that. I mean, for me, I always, uh, I've always been a, like a big kid, a big, big kid growing up. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I got to my largest size in, when I was 21 and I was uh, 110 kilos. And at you know, my height of 173, it's... I was super strong, but I was also, I mean, if you just looked at me, I just looked like a big bowling ball, basically, which was funny enough, one of my nicknames um, as I played fullback. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I could definitely understand the, um, like, how issues as a kid, you know, especially our, like, the way we have uh, our relationship with food um, can totally mess us up psychosomatically. Yeah, um, 100%. Uh, what would for your for yourself through your own like personal fitness journey like what would what are some of the things that you kind of um, some obstacles or challenges that you've kind of had to work your way through? Yeah, uh, I tell this story to a lot of my clients, but uh, essentially, when I was eight years old, I was hanging out in the monkey bars with this girl, and I'm in love with this girl, right? Like yeah. I'm eight years old, I know what true love is. She's the most beautiful thing in the world, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, she asks my uh, my best friend who I'm actually still in contact with. Uh, you know, I went to his wedding. We were stand partners in symphony. We both play the cello. We had a class together since kindergarten. So anyway, my, my best friend, Ed, he asks her, oh, Lindsay, who do you think is cute? And she names off five dudes. She names off Kyle, Brandon, Lewis, Jimmy, and Ed. But she didn't say my name. So as an eight-year-old, I'm in this state of hypnosis at all times because mm -hmm. my brain waves are not fully developed. Her omitting my name made me feel like I was ugly. Mm -hmm. And so, I kid you not, like, I would go to bed and pray every night, like, God, if you're real, please make me attractive. Mm -hmm. I want to be attractive so girls will like me. Then as I get older, I start seeing, you know, some of the other guys have girlfriends and all of them have six packs. So I started putting two and two together. Oh, to get a girlfriend, I have to have a six pack. Mm -hmm. So I gotta not eat as much. I've got to make sure I do abs every day. I bought an ab wheel and I did 200 ab wheels the first day I had it. You want to talk about like <laughs> doms? You want to talk about muscle soreness? That was yeah. the worst I've ever felt. I couldn't breathe. It was so bad. Because when you're doing ab wheel, you don't feel it that day. No. You just, 
it's just eccentric. So there's no yeah. burn. Two days later, you're like, oh God, I'm gonna die. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty rough. So mm -hmm. like for me, all of my training for the longest time had a large component of just have to have abs. I would do yeah. strict, not kipping GHG sit-ups with like five 25 pound plates, literally hugging them. Mm -hmm. I got known as the ab guy when I was a senior in high school. Yeah. And I would do 25 rep drops, drop sets. So 25 reps, drop, drop a plate, yeah. 25 reps, and I would just do that. And I have an incredibly strong core now because mm -hmm. of it. So in hindsight, like awesome, I have really strong abs. Yeah. But, and a strong midsection. But the way I trained, it completely was biased towards that because mm -hmm. it changed how I viewed everything from food to training. I got to a point to where if I missed any training at all, mm -hmm. I would flip out. Like I would become a very depressed human because mm -hmm. I was like, man, I'm, I'm gonna gain an extra percent of body fat and now I have no chance at having a girlfriend. Right. And I have no chance of feeling loved and all these thoughts, right? And it wasn't until I was 28 that somebody that I was working with who was a mentor of mine in the behavioral health world, she basically pulled it out of me because I didn't even remember being eight years old on the monkey bars. We were yeah. just talking and then flashback, yeah. right? And it pulled out in front of me. I was like, wow, okay, like that's, that logically doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. I know that I don't have to have a six pack to get a date. Like plenty of people out there get dates without six packs. Yeah. But logic and emotion don't mix. The limbic system is weird like that, right? Mm -hmm. So like I had to consciously work through that and I had to constantly ask myself, like, am I doing this because I think that I need to get a girlfriend? Yeah. And over time, I'll be like, yes, that's why I'm doing it. I wouldn't change anything. I would just maintain it the same way. I could be like, yep, that's that's why I'm doing it. And I just acknowledged it and it became conscious. Mm -hmm. So over time I could work through that and it became a level of like, I don't need to do that because I actually don't need to do that to get a girlfriend. Right. And then next thing you know, it's more and more subconscious competence. Yeah. I think it's uh, the quite an interesting process you, you're describing in that, you know, like your initial processes of like what you were doing uh, were based off of uh, a clear idea of like your, your association of getting a six pack with uh, having a relationship. Yeah. And then there is a point where we almost, will continue performing or behaving in a certain way, but we completely forget the original intention of why we were doing totally. something. And then, um, but I, th I think there's a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of that where people are, I mean, shaped massively by the environment that they they grew up in and raised in. Yep. Um, and, well, uh, also like my Sifu, you know, having um, worked with him for decades, like he's, really old now so he can't do anything i mean he's in his 70s and he's got heart disease so he can't he can't spar but um i had my nose fixed when i was around 25 26 because i mm. had it broken a dozen times mm. so growing up like being fascinated with jikundo and all of the the training i did all of the sparring and the amount of times i got punched in the face I always wanted to be faster because mm -hmm. I always felt like I have to be faster. And I remember asking my seafood, I was like, well, how did you get to be so fast? And he was like, well, they just basically kept punching me until I was going to get punched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what you're going to do. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this sucks, but okay. Then looking at Bruce Lee, that dude was shredded beyond belief. Yeah. So like subconsciously, I was like, okay, if I want to get that fast, I also have to be shredded. Mm. So it like was this compounding effect of like, okay, I want to be fast lightning quick like Bruce Lee yeah. I want to be you know attractive so I got to be jacked yeah and then I played soccer as a goalkeeper my entire life and yeah. I was a shortstop in baseball both of those positions require immense speed and reflexes yeah. so everything in my brain was like you have to have a six-pack and sub seven percent body fat to be a decent human and I, yeah. I legit actually 
hated myself if mm. I was over 7%. Like I, I was a worthless human being in my eyes mm. and it was horribly hard on myself and I didn't realize it till I was you know, older. And now I'm 33 and I still struggle with it. Like, mm. you know, I, I traveled a lot this summer, Japan, Norway, Egypt, yeah. Bali. I haven't had the best nutrition at all times yeah. and I'm definitely not 7% body fat. So sometimes I still look in the mirror and I'm like, Fuck, I hate myself. Mm. But it's one of those things now where I can consciously go like, hold on a second, you're you're not being rational right now, Michael. Yeah. Like let's let's work through this and the tools that I have um, that have been taught to me and that I teach to my clients, you know, yeah. and how to like actually work through it. Because the mind is no different than a muscle. If mm. I want to get bigger biceps, I better do reps. Yeah. I got to do a lot of curls. Yeah. The mind is the same thing. And mm. If you want to train the mind, like you can't just say one thing once. Yeah. You actually have to remyelinate it by reps. Yeah, I think it's definitely quite interesting. Um, this like the the idea of like seeing the end result of like what a professional or high level athlete looks like or what I I see what they do and then I immediately associate that I need to act or behave in that manner all the time to get to that point. And I see this uh I mean I see it a lot in uh in for example in CrossFit where you see people are watching the games and they see these high level athletes and they're like, oh, they're always doing all these like wads and training super hard and they're just doing all these crazy things to be able to be in the games. And, but you don't actually see like all, what they're all doing in the, in the background and the preparation to competition. Yep. Um, and so then you do find that, and I, and I think there's, there's definitely some really good gyms that do a good job of helping people better separate competition and, and actual training yeah. um, but I do think as a whole there is a there is kind of a problem with people essentially competing every single day yeah. in their classes and basically destroying themselves um, how to but I think the thing that with that I find that that I benefited from from playing team sports is like that camaraderie with the people that you're training with totally. uh, and I think the people that don't have the experience of being in team sports they feel that when they're in the in the classes right so they yeah. do it for a very social yeah. um, camaraderie like experience but how do you how would you get people to maybe I don't know if there's a way to do it but right, how how can you separate that like have them get that social camaraderie like experience but do it in a manner that's not like destroying the individual in that process yeah I think um, that's so you if I understand the question you're basically like how do we give people the individual design without killing them and keeping them in the camaraderie group yeah so like there's definitely a lot that you know like figuring out the puzzle you know it's a lot if you're only focused on one person you're only focused on the one puzzle but if you've got which a lot of the industry is just group classes. Yeah. How do we? How would you? How would you take your idea or your methodology and apply it to like the group setting? So let's say if I don't have, you know, here in Bali it's so transient that I have a member for a week. Yeah. I mean, what? What? There's not really. Yeah, it's. I mean. There's not a lot you can do in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, no, I mean, so I get that question a lot with people and they're like, hey, yeah, Michael, like I, I really love the group classes. Like, can we blend individual design with group classes? Yeah. And the answer is no. So if you're looking to do what I do, you're a person that is now at some point somehow more intrinsically motivated mm. than extrinsically. Mm. So if you're going into fitness because of the socialization 
zero judgment on that one. Yeah. Like I, I totally get it. Like sometimes we just need that group of friends because work sucks and we need to go to the gym. That's the best part of some people's day. Mm. So who am I to tell them stop? Like that client that just hired me, right? Like yeah. she loves to do a blog-based workout, a template mm. with her boyfriend. She loves it. That's like one of the best parts of her day. Yeah. I am not taking that away from her. So what mm. else can I do? Like maybe I can optimize her nutrition. I can optimize her physiology. We, mm. we ran blood work. I looked at everything under the hood. And I was like, hey, listen, like we got these things going on. Let's start optimizing these things for fitness. Keep doing your thing. Like you want to work out with your boyfriend? Yeah. Great. You're going to feel better because you're having fun. Mm. Taking that away could be detrimental to fitness because now compliance goes out the window because it's not as fun. You're not with yeah. your boyfriend. So if somebody's coming in and they're like, hey, I'm only gonna be in Bali for a month and then I gotta take off, I probably wouldn't be as concerned with the program design per se because right. they're gonna almost always auto-regulate intensity. They're mm. gonna show up tired mm. and they're probably gonna like not go as hard, right? Now you're always gonna have you know, that small group of people that are like, oh, nope, gotta compete every day, every mm. day is game day. And at those people, I think, you kind of have to let them burn themselves out a little bit first. Yeah. That's actually the story of most of my tactical guys. Yeah. Because they're like, no, like, I'm a Navy SEAL. I should be able to do this. I'm a Green Beret. I should be able to keep yeah. going. And it's like, no, you're human still. And you kind of almost let them figure out on, them, on their totally. own. I think, yeah, yeah, the the timing issue is, I think some people are just, uh, and I'm sure you kind of experience it through your, your interview process, right? Is like some people are just, they might say that they're ready, but they're just, they're not, right? And sometimes it takes, uh, you know, unfortunately for some people, it takes a big wake-up call, like they experience yeah. a massive injury or yeah. have a massive chronic disease, but uh, some people I think it's, uh, do it, yeah. Well, I would just say people change at the precipice of their demise. Mm. So I know, like that. Yeah, you're not yeah. gonna you're not gonna want to give up. I mean, I don't like the idea that they're, they're yeah. yeah well, they're like, right. but, the, but the concept is <laughs> yeah, yeah. relatively accurate. Like yeah. people aren't gonna change until they're at that precipice of their demise. Like yeah. they're they're like, I have to change, or like I'm going to blow my spine out, or something's got to give because I'm not gonna be able to stay operational. Mm. You know, as an operator, I have to change something. Yeah. Um, I can think of one guy, he's a tier one guy that I work with that I, um, that he hired me just around a year ago and he chronic pain, always going hard. He had a ranger mentality, just go, go, go. And now he's like, man, I don't go nearly as hard as I ever did in the past, but I'm fitter, leaner, stronger. Yeah. I'm not in pain anymore and my digestion is better and my sleep is better. Like mm -hmm. a lot of stuff is better there, but he... If you would have, if I would have told him to do the things that I needed to have him do to get there, if I yeah. would have told him to do that four years ago, he'd have given me the middle finger because mm. he just wasn't at that point of like, dude, I just can't take this anymore. Like I'm tired of not sleeping. I'm tired of having knee pain. Yeah. He had to get to that point of like, all right, listen, I'm going to give you this money to fix me and I'm just tell me what to do, man. Yeah. So you have to come to that point. And that's something where I think as coaches, we're more conscious of it because we're coaches. Yeah. But clients aren't. Like clients have their own lives. They're teachers, they're soldiers, they're sailors, they're yeah. doctors, they're lawyers, they're they're cashiers, whatever. They're, they're they they have their own lives and their their job isn't to understand the stuff that we understand. Mm. So you're trying to change somebody's belief structure oftentimes. So perceptions one hundred percent can be wrong, but beliefs they're never wrong. And that is a mantra I will live with till the day I die. Like uh, we'll use eating disorders as as an example. 
an anorexic may believe they're fat and they're not wrong in mm. their belief structure they believe that and they yeah. need a licensed healthcare provider mm. to help them alter their belief structure their perception is wrong mm. like their perception of their body composition is wrong like we know they're not overweight but the way they see themselves and believe mm. that's different and so you have to come to a point to where you're finally ready to be truly vulnerable and just go i can't do this anymore i'm burning out mm. and that's when people typically will come to me when they're like i've done group fitness i've gone to physical therapists i've done chiropractic yeah. i'm still screwed up it's like all right come on in mm. let's work but oftentimes people just aren't there yet yeah. and we have to learn to be okay with that. i think definitely too, there's also a, a going back to like the environmental component right i think because there's i would say there's significantly more trainers that are well, they're not like you, right? And they're not like wanting to figure out the puzzle and they're yeah, just using a lot totally. of cookie cutters. And, yeah. But I think uh, like an example with regards to the environment is like someone could be based in like a big city like London and they could go to maybe 10 or 15 different gyms looking for what best fits them and they experience that they're all basically similar, the same, right? And so then their perception at that point is that, oh, this must be normal. This is like what everybody does. And they are, they basically just give in to the environment that they're in and they don't even know that someone like yourself, Michael Ben, like even exists. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, what would, I don't even know what a person like that, if they were already in a situation where they just kind of figure like this kind of training is just normal. And oh, so this so this issue that uh, this is what I don't want to get to is that we have we get quite a lot of people that come and they come to the gym and they're like, oh man, we've never experienced anything like this. Like you guys are actually giving us corrective feedback, <laughs> which is crazy, right? Um, but they will like go back to their their city or their country and they're like, where can I find a gym like this? And it's almost like we can't even like give them any options because we don't we don't even actually know. Of I mean, of course, there's some countries who are just like we haven't really done the research. Yeah. But it's hard to, it almost I almost kind of feel to some extent kind of feel bad in that like, you, like if someone were to experience like training from you or the, the assessment protocols and, and the training with you for like six months and they're like okay I can't see you anymore like for whatever for whatever reasons yeah. what do I do in that scenario like, I mean so my own philosophy towards how i would handle it is yeah. i i actually try to work myself out of a job yeah so i have a, a wonderful wonderful client of mine um almost two years with her now mm. and she sent me this heartfelt message of how like she has to move on and you know she's she's just ready to do like group fitness again well when she hired me she had a lot of pain. She was about to have surgery. Mm. She had a lot of, you know, other things going on, even within her own psyche and like the way she spoke to herself and the way she thought of herself in fitness. Yeah. She sends me this heartfelt message of like, I no longer am hard on myself and I don't have pain mm. and I'm able to do fitness the way I want to do it and I can yeah. be the best mom and wife possible. She was like, I hope we can still like talk. And I was like, what? Like, I did my job. Like, you should yeah. be firing me now. Like, mm. You know how to eat. You know exactly how to take care of yourself. You know all these things. You don't need me. Like, yeah. the, the example has been set on what you should be doing yeah. 
for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. you should be able to basically like yeah. handle stuff. So our job as coaches, you know, it's not just to coach, but to educate. And that's where like getting into an online model, like developing a business model that allows for you to do that. Mm-hmm. I do everything to true coach. Yeah. I think that's probably the best we have currently in the fitness industry, mm-hmm. better than Train Heroic or any of those other apps out there. Yeah. Um, and then that way you can maintain good communication yeah. and you can send them videos and educate them. That'd be what I would do if I was in your situation to offer. Yeah, I'm actually really happy that you answered it that way. Um, the The number one thing for us is that we we know, know whoever steps into our gym that we know that they're leaving mm-hmm. right at some point. It's just Bali. Like not, most yeah. people are not living here. And so... And, and this is the issue that I would have with like the most of the fitness industry is that I, I do compare, there's a lot of similarities to the pharmaceutical industry and the, and seeing doctors in that, like they're, they're there to treat symptoms and not actually treat yeah. the underlying issues. Uh, for us, it's, it's mostly about every single class is about teaching them how to perform all the movements, yeah. how to help them become as independent as possible. But I think for us, it's about, um, at the end of the day is helping them understand like, the the intention and the way they need to train and how they can apply that to other um, training methodologies Um, because at the end of days you can have that same that same goal right as a hundred other people but the way you approach it and and your intention um, is 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 super important so yeah we do tell them that like um, I mean especially after a month of taking classes like they should be really close to a point where they can be independent uh, of us and mm-hmm. if we do that then obviously like yourself like we feel like we do we've done our job and i think uh and and truthfully like all of our members if whether they know it or not essentially all the classes are built to essentially teach them to become a, their own coach like to, to educate them enough to be able to handle their own life situation um so yeah, yeah, very. Yeah, you're taking yeah. what you're, you're helping them become less codependent. Yes, yes. And I mean, for any coach that wants to understand that stuff, like uh, Pia Malotti, uh P-I-A, and then her last name is M-E-L-L-O-D-Y. Mm-hmm. So she's written books on books on the topic, but facing codependency, mm-hmm. or facing codependence anyway. That that book, that opened my eyes mm-hmm. to a lot of like clients because like they come to us in some way like codependent if they weren't codependent they wouldn't really come to us at least with my avatar people Mm. and that's not to say it's bad it's just to say like that's kind of how they are or else they would go and google everything and figure it out themselves for the most part so i think one is like getting people to become a little bit less codependent and learning how to like ask them questions to challenge themselves so instead of like telling a client something you ask them something Mm. to where they have to reflect on and go huh yeah, and that question, as they yeah. answer it, that evolves their mindset and takes them to the next level. So Kenny mm-hmm. Weiss, um, he's a mind ninja. Kenny Weiss is the one that turned me on to all that like yeah. three, four years ago. Um, he's brilliant. Like if, if anyone ever wants to read a good self-help book, Your Journey to Success is a brilliantly worked or um, mm-hmm. written book. And that can help any coach that wants to understand yeah. how to like help clients evolve there. Um, because yeah, you're right, like it's, it's tough. Mm. It's, it's a tough one, especially in Bali, because no one no one lives here, no. which is crazy. Because like it's amazing. Like, it is quite amazing. Here? Well, you're you're planning on moving here, right? I'm thinking <laughs> about it, man. Well, I mean, I'm really thinking about it. Yeah. You guys are really talking me into it. And I'm yeah. out here looking at the beach, and I'm yeah. like, 
why would I live in Arizona when it's 50 degrees Celsius or whatever, 45 degrees Celsius? It's pretty can, hot in Arizona I for know, sure. I can be here and be like, okay, there's the beach, gonna go surf. Yeah. Get rid of this stinking tan line. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're uh, tra- you've been traveling for quite a, a while now, or yeah, yeah. yeah um, so how do you how do you maintain your your lifestyle while you're traveling? I think uh, I mean particularly in body, there's a lot of uh, digital nomads. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's also people who travel for the short term. But uh, I think staying healthy and fit, like while traveling, for a lot of people is a, is a big issue. It is. Yeah. How do you handle that yourself? Um, well. It depends on where I'm at. Um, Do you ever, does Michael Van ever let go? Does he just like go crazy for like a week of eating, oh, cookie, yeah. eating cookies? Totally. And <laughs> so yeah, um, a, a good friend of mine, a former client and a good friend of mine, Anthony. Anthony said, he told me this, I think he told me like five years ago. He said, uh, everything in moderation, mm. including moderation. Mm. And uh, that was a mantra amongst many others that he taught me over the years that I really try to live by. So like every now and then, I'm just going to go ahead and say, F it, you're going to go ham, I'm just going to send it, full send. I'm just going <laughs> to, we're going to go out and we're going to have like beers yeah. and pizza and we're just going to have a good time. Yeah. Because if I die in two weeks, I don't want to look back and be like, damn it, I didn't go out that Friday night. Yeah. So, you know, I have... You know my moments where it's like all right like i'm flying yeah. i'm gonna have that like glass mm. or two of wine i'm gonna eat some airplane food and i'm very well aware of the consequences i'll have digestive issues i'm mm. gonna have these problems but i'm detaching from it and i'm becoming aware of it yeah for me i'll try to get ivs it's mm. like i got an iv yesterday i had 1.5 liters of fluids i had vitamins a e d and k mm. plus all the water soluble vitamins some extra glutathione um, then I take magnesium and I take some other supplements and I actually have like a supplement protocol for mm. when I travel okay. and then I have training protocols in place to show me that my protocols are working. So yeah. for example, if I can maintain 90 or more percent of my one rep while I'm traveling, I consider myself doing pretty well. Mm. So if my back squat is hundred kilos, we'll use that as an easy example. Yeah. If I can hit 90 or more kilos, then I know my protocols for the most part are probably working. Mm. And that's the same thing with my clients that travel a lot, but basically making sure that I take red eye flights and I can sleep plus red eye flights, you're higher up in the air. So mm. like there's a lot more radiation hitting you because mm. aluminum is not gonna block radiation. Yeah. So I try to fly at night so I get lesser radiation. Um, I make sure that I stay really, really well hydrated. I make mm. sure that I take my trace minerals. I make sure that I take extra glutathione. I make sure that I take some extra vitamin C. Um, so I, I take certain probiotics and certain supplement protocols to help me maintain my resiliency while I'm traveling because mm-hmm. it's going to burn you out when you go on a 30-hour trip. Yeah. And then from there, um, I basically monitor you know, subjectively how I feel in training. Like if I'm hitting 80% of my one rep, then I know I'm pretty tired. I need to go do some easy aerobic work and maybe just stretch a little bit to calm my system down yeah. and then sleep more that night. Mm. Uh, if it's a short trip, I try to get in and out. And if I'm not going to be there just getting in and out, I try to stay for a long time. The worst trips I've ever made are like the seven-day trips where I go overseas for seven days. Because mm. just as I start to decently feel okay, i got to fly back to America. And uh, then i got to take another two weeks to adapt there. So it, it, those are brutal. So you either fly overseas for like three days and get out of there. Mm. Or you uh, basically stay for the long haul like I'm doing right now and enjoying it and just mm. relaxing. 
So IVs always, um, when I can, if they're available, I'll probably get another IV tomorrow or on yeah. Friday. Um, just because it's hard to absorb things when my digestion is all messed up. So yeah. I can take supplements all day, but I might not absorb it. So yeah. I'd rather go intravenously. Um, sleep, sunshine. I generally will do like fasting. I'll use intermittent fasting to help with some coffee in the morning, maybe some bulletproof coffee just yeah. to kind of wake up. Uh, and then I'll like carve up later in the day to kind of give me that carb coma to knock me out. Mm. And you know, I've been in country for two days now and uh, slept really well last night. I was really hydrated, so I woke up to piss because of the extra fluids I took in mm. yesterday. But otherwise, like I would have slept all through the night just fine. So that's kind of how I do it. Um, I also run my blood work before I travel, yeah. so I know what I'm dealing with. Uh, and then I give myself a week to kind of like you know analyze the labs, get the lab work back, and then I get my protocol sent over right. to me. And then I run blood work when I get home, so I can see like what's changed, and I track all of that data on myself. Mm. And uh, any of my clients that ever want to do it too, I, I, I can run their blood work and figure it out too. But uh, basically, yeah. And then from there, whatever changes it made, I adapt my nutrition and supplement and training, whatever protocols mm. to match my physiology so I don't get too burned out. Cool, man. That's, that's pretty, even that's pretty intense. Yeah, well, yeah. so full disclosure, like I, I love the puzzle and I have Asperger's. So for me, I, I constantly obsess over this mm. stuff. So to me, it's like, it's my obsession you know? no that's awesome man yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean it's, it's always great too i mean and, and the idea of like being a high level practitioner in, in your in your industry in your field is that like within your field and what your 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 specific interests are is like you should be wanting to take it to the highest of levels that you you know you want like i had uh i mean even talking i had a couple on their um world champion flare bartenders and like the way they would talk about the process of, of becoming a flare bartender the idea of mixology like they talked about uh we met one guy who has a bar in poland he just talked about how like there's a thousand different vodkas in in poland alone and how every how every single one is like he could just taste the difference of every single vodka that was in, like in poland and, and how he would use very specific um, vodka mixes or blends and, and use it with very specific like you know like there's like a hundred different kinds of oranges he's just talking about like this like just crazy like the level of detail and, and thought that goes through uh, everything that he does mm -hmm. and I just love this idea of like just um, no matter what the industry is like you find that the ones that tend to be the most uh, the most successful within their industry not necessarily monetarily wise but are considered like high level practitioners from other practitioners uh, which i think is like the ultimate compliment um is when you have um other coaches be like fuck that guy's that guy's good you know um and i think uh yeah I, I definitely much appreciate the the process i like hearing your story and like how you're okay. going through all this um process over and over and over again you know I, and, and that's that's the the biggest thing that kind of separates you from all the other kind of coaches that are out there is that your 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 genuine interest in what you do is uh, yeah, it's phenomenal, man. Yeah. Thanks. I'm still caught up on a thousand vodkas and hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of oranges. And yeah, like, yeah. Oh my gosh! I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, that's so complex. That mm. is that's cool. I I would love to have a conversation with someone like that. It's like Hero, like Hero Dreams of Sushi, that documentary, mm. like. Those guys, like his apprentices, spend a decade learning to make rice. 
Yeah. I make rice. I have a rice cooker. It yeah. takes me 10 minutes. Yeah. The fact <laughs> that it takes them 10 years to learn to make rice and then like five years to cut a fish. Like yeah. I have a knife. I can cut a fish. Like yeah. seemingly so simple, but he, like Hero would spend his entire lifetime mm. just trying to see how far he can take his craft. Yeah. And I, I just... I, I, I admire that, the fact that he doesn't take holidays unless it's a mandated Japanese holiday. And yeah. I, I heard he's retired now. Mm. Um, but it just, people like that blow my mind and I admire them so much. And like maybe one day I can be at that level of like craftsmanship mm. with my own craft. But oh man, a thousand vodkas and tasting the differences like a sommelier and wine. Yeah. You know, I had a really cool conversation yeah, yeah. with a sommelier and mm. I was blown away about like. We, yeah, we also, crazy. we went to a, a world championship competition in Singapore and we happened to cross by um, a tea shop and there was like basically a tea connoisseur like and he was just talking about all the different teas and the years of teas and like the different blends and it's like holy yeah. cow like this is crazy like the level of thought process and, uh, that goes through all of it yeah I find it it's quite quite amazing uh, but uh, you might get to meet uh, one of the bartenders he's one of our members at the gym oh man I'd yeah, love yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'll he's, he's pretty cool up. and then uh, there's another guy in town uh, he owns a chocolate company called Primo he's the same exact way but about chocolate he just he goes ham on chocolate man it's crazy uh, the thought process that goes through it and that's uh, so cool yeah, because he, he, uh, he makes his chocolate like through a very, it takes him, uh, I think it's like 48 hours um, to do a very slow grind process that he, he just, it's amazing like the process that he goes through and, uh, and how he's able to like taste the differences between like one bean and another and just, I, I, I just eat everything for the most part, but uh, yeah, well, these guys that have these taste buds that just next level, you know. That's like the Japanese and Kaizen, like the constant refinement of systems. Mm. Like when I was in Japan last month, I went to a Japanese tea ceremony and I was very, very blessed to be the guest of honor for that ceremony or whatever. And yeah. like, so they like made my tea first, but like every movement that this woman made mm. was intentional and mindful. Mm. And there's silence, like nobody's talking. I'm sitting there in Seiza, like basically my posture. Mm. And there's like bowing and bowing. And then like the way you turn the cups and the way you drink it. And then the way you slurp at the end, like yeah. the constant refinement of how she serves tea. Mm. Like not even knowing all about tea. Like she know she knew so much about tea. It blew my mind. Yeah. But then just the like the way she would move of like pouring the ladle and like the hot water and like the sounds and it was just it's incredible like yeah. constant refinement like how can i serve tea better something mm. seemingly so simple yeah. but somebody takes that to a ceremonial level yeah it just that's that's something that i am truly humbled by when i'm around that because mm. that's mastery i think one interesting component about like, going back to the like the mixologist and tailoring and adapting their recipes to the person that they're actually serving because everybody's taste buds are yeah. actually significantly different so they're also telling me about how like you know definitely really nice like speakeasies you know they're asking specific questions to get more information on what your taste buds could be like so they can better make the drink for you which is why they ask certain questions like like if you know some of them might ask like do you prefer like sweeter or bitter you know do you prefer and then generally there'll be like kind of easy questions for people to to answer or give yeah it's like a doctor asking for information right and so they'll do this but they'll do it for like the drink that they're going to make and how 
because um, there's like you know thousands of different ways to make an old-fashioned and there's like all these different ways to make you know all these different drinks so um, but also is the benefit of going to uh, a really good mixologist on a consistent basis because the the more you go to them the better they understand your your taste buds and and what you like and so you it's like maybe by the 10th time you get like the ultimate you know michael drink yeah because your and bartender knows who the hell you are and that is yeah. that's that's mastery and i love that and yeah. what's crazy is like every single person i've ever talked to that's like that will never tell you that they're a master mm. and mm. they always stay what i would call in the trenches mm. so like they don't just do 15 years of it 20 years of it and then get out and start teaching others and claim that they're still the master and they know what they're doing because they stay in their craft they constantly try to get better yeah. they may teach others while they're getting better but sure. they're still in the trenches doing their craft trying to refine it mm. and i think that's just one of the most amazing things human beings can do like mm. i am i'm i'm very fascinated with that and especially the japanese culture yeah. um with that constant refinement of the pursuit of perfection knowing you'll never reach perfection yeah right like that's just something that i'm this all that's one of my biggest fascinations on why mm. people do that. It, it's yeah, crazy. and it's, uh, I, I mean, that that idea of, like, perfection, right? And for us, you know, it goes down to even the, the name of the gym, right? The state of nirvana, the state of, like, ultimate perfection or ultimate being is that knowing that, you know, that we just want to continue to progress, you know, even though, um, you know, we may never actually reach this state of, you know, ultimate being, but... Um, I think, yeah, the definitely, but I think for most people when, you know, with regards to goals as well, you know, like it tends to be the, the journey that, that most people get the most enjoyment out of. Um, cause once you hit that goal is sure it's, uh, it's exciting and it's, and it's great and all, but it only lasts a certain period before you, then you're like, what's the, what's the next, yeah, next well, goal? Yeah. That, that was me in my twenties Yeah, know, for the first like 10 years of my career or whatever. It was like I gotta, I gotta get this many clients. I gotta, I gotta travel to this many countries, and then I gotta mm. be able to do this, and then I'll be happy. And then I like hit all these things, yeah. and I was like, I'm still not actually happy. Like mm. I'm, I'm actually quite, not miserable, not depressed, but just like not happy. Mm. Like there, there was something missing. And that's over time I started to really look within and be like, wow, okay, like I, I need, there has to be purpose, and purpose drives the man, mm. and that like now like thinking about like how far can i take this like i just want to see how far i can go with it how many yeah. dots can i put together in this human condition thing for the rest of my life and then my last thought hopefully will be a thought on on like one more thing i could get better mm. and then pff, i'm done like, <laughs> gone. and then i fade off yeah. right but like that would be yeah because for me I had to have this XYZ thing. Yeah. Like, you know, once you get there, you're going to be happy. And I fell prey to that big time. I think we all do. You totally. know, it, it, I mean, some of us definitely uh, takes longer than others to yeah. wake up. But totally. uh, um, at least we are, to some extent, woke. And, and We're woke like Jim Carrey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jim Carrey, man. That's, that guy's a character. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. This is a very enjoyable talk yeah thanks it, for having it's me. definitely get to better know you and uh you'll be around for a couple of weeks so i'm sure we'll get to have some really good food and chocolate and vodka and chocolate oranges. and vodka and oranges let's yeah. do it <laughs> let's get those two guys together and let's just have them hook it up yeah no kidding all right well thanks again for listening to another uh, uh episode of the practitioners panel and uh 
I'll definitely need to put in some of the the books that you're recommending into the into the notes. And um, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram primarily at uh, my Instagram handle Coach underscore Michael underscore Ban. Um, you can also email me at uh, MC Ban, not like the rapper, but like just my initials MC Ban at gmail.com. Yeah, B uh, N N. Yeah. B A N N. Okay, and then we'll also put those into the into the notes. Cool. Um, well, awesome, man. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate yeah, no it. No problem. It was, it was a great time. Yeah. Okay. Well, until next time, uh, continue your own uh, personal growth, and uh, we'll, we'll see you guys later.